Thanks so much for joining us for the New Life for Abena podcast. New Life Church is one family, many churches, and we exist to simply see more people more like Jesus by planting and leading thriving local churches. We pray that this message is a blessing. Friends, I would love you to, uh, to honour this next person we're about to welcome up. Uh, a lot of our church planning journey at New Life, a couple of years ago, I, I had the opportunity to go to England and I didn't know anyone over there except for Bishop Rick. And I emailed Bishop Rick and I said, hey, uh, Rick, is there anyone that you might be able to set up a meeting uh, so I might just be able to learn what, what, how do you even do a church plant? This is before we planted Brisbane. The next day I got an email back, about 25 emails back. And what Bishop Rick had done is he'd set up an email, a meeting with me me and like a lot of the key church planters all across London and the wider area, just a moment like that. And that has been part of the DNA that Stu, now myself and the team have actually been able to see God do an amazing new things in Brisbane, Coolangatta online. And we're praying, we're praying more of the world. Our vision here at New Life is this. We believe that by year 2027, God's called us to be leading a movement of renewal uh, in and through the Uniting Church in Australia. And we're going to do that. Part of that will be by planting churches. We would love to plant at least six new churches in the next five years. But there's more than that. It's actually about us being a people of renewal. We must listen to the spirit of renewal. And, uh, and that's, that's fairly cool. And that's what Rick's going to come talk about today. Would you welcome Bishop Rick as he comes and shares with us today? Thank you very, very much indeed for that. Welcome. It is great to be with you. Um, I was here five years ago. Um, from Speaking from this stage, it was actually at a conference. And um, I love it here. You've got an amazing church. You've got great pastors um, looking after you and overseeing the work here. And um, I, I'm just really excited for what God is doing in you and with you. Um, but also just this plan for... Uh, church planting and revitalization that's kind of bringing old churches back to life um, because I've seen the impact of that in our own country and I've just begun to, begun to connect with people in this country who are doing that and um, just something at the end of the last service I, I kind of want to reaffirm slightly which is that um, God wants health in the churches he wants new churches that are healthy that are bringing people to know Jesus Christ but also helping nurture that faith in, in new and renewed ways. And um, just uh, one of the things I think we're learning all the time, I, I get great encouragement reading in the Acts of the Apostles. St. Paul is learning all the time, and we're learning all the time. We're, we're, sometimes we make mistakes, but actually then we learn from those, and we keep on applying that because we want, you know, the ultimate aim is for everyone to hear the good news about Jesus um, in a way that they can relate to, in a way that's near them, and um, in a way that actually they have the chance to see their life absolutely transformed by his love and his power. Amen? Yeah? Great. So I would love to, I mean, just let me just introduce myself a bit more as, before I kind of dive into the talk. I'm married to Louis. We've been married almost 30 years. Our anniversary is this December. And we've got three grown-up children um, who are 25, 23, and 21. Um, and we have a mad dog called Murphy, um, who's great fun. They're very, very naughty. But they've got more character, haven't they? You know, just it's like kind of that balance. Um, and uh, my wife, Louis, she would love to have been with you. She wasn't able to, but she sends her love to you and her greetings from England. Um, my role in the Church of England didn't... I have not always been a clergy person, so I, I started off in marketing with Unilever, so I was selling surf and 
um, Domestos, do you have that here? And um, a rat poison called karate. It really works. It's, you don't get it on your hands. But um, it's... Uh, <laughs> So I was selling that kind of thing and um, in marketing with um, just across England. And um, I then joined the staff of Holy Trinity Brompton, which is the home of the Alpha Course, and just uh, began to hear and uh, learn about church planting in that process. And um, after a while, a long while, about 15 years, I then, uh, with my family, uh, went on a church plant to East London, Holy Trinity Brompton's in West London, very different. It's where Harrods is, if you've heard of Harrods, very smart area of town. We went to East London um, to a place called Shadwell, which is not as smart and more, you know, quite a challenging place. 45% Muslim, um, about 10% Cockney EastEnders, and about 45% atheist, agnostic young professionals. And it was just a fascinating time there. And by the grace of God, the church grew, and we were then able to revitalize four other churches, um, and they in turn have gone on to revitalize others, and so on. And um, in 2015, I was appointed to be a bishop in the Church of England to do this kind of thing all the time. So um, most bishops, in fact, all bishops in, in England, they look after groups of churches in our kind of polity. So maybe 100, 150 churches. I don't look after churches that exist. I look after churches that are going to exist in the future because I'm, going to, I, I'm involved in um, recruiting people, training them up, and sending them to plant new churches. And um, once they're in a new place, once they've planted and established, then they come under the um, auspices of a, of, a, um, of a bishop. And I always think that I've got the best, church, uh, best job in the Church of England because um, all the problems with churches start once they're established, but not before. So I look after churches that don't exist, I have no problems. Once they're planted, that's, that's their problem, and that's when they need to look after them. So, um, so I love my work, and it is really about catalyzing church planting in England and sharing what we're learning in other places. But I found just that, that posture of learning has made such a difference. And I've learned more from people like you, um, and then applying it into our own situation, and, um, and then and doing more of that, and, and seeing just God doing extraordinary things. So I'd love to talk a little bit about church planting, but much more um, talk about actually what God wants to do in our lives and how we respond. And, and I'd, I'd love to kind of base it really in Acts chapter 16, where Paul uh, comes to uh, a crossroads in his own life and calling. He could have gone to the left. He could have gone to the right. He keeps going and ends in a, in a, like a dead end. And it's like, what does he do? How has this come to be? And in our lives, all of us face crossroads at various times. Moses, aged 80, reached a crossroads when Aaron was sharing that scripture about, you know, I'm not going to go without your presence, God. You're calling me to go forwards, but I won't go without you. That's such a, an important message for every one of us, whether at 80, I met an 85-year-old um, in coffee uh, between the services. There are young people here. Every one of us is faced with a decision as to whether we're going to submit ourselves to God at every moment. And when we go with God, great things happen. So I'd love to lean into this. And um, I'm going to uh, be um, uh, looking at Acts chapter 16. And I'd love to read it to you. Acts 16, uh, verses 6 to 10. So here we go. 
This is Paul's mission journey, his second one. First one, he was in like Western, oh, Eastern Turkey, um, a place called Galatia. And now he's kind of gone through Galatia and he's, um, he's going to the rest of the region. So that's where it picks up. So Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man in Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Father, I pray that you would speak to us through these words, through your word, the word of God. Please ignite our imaginations, speak into our experiences, help us to align ourselves with your, with your word. And we pray as a result that you would transform us and that we would be more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. So, crossroads in our lives. I wonder where you're at with your life. Have you faced situations where you just don't know what to do? Or there's been a situation that has dashed your dreams, and, or you just, you're taking steps forwards, and then you suddenly go, I don't really know where I'm going or what I'm doing. So in my own life, um, I've got loads of situations where I've kind of reached these kind of crossroads. So there was a moment um, when uh, I, I experienced failure, and I'd um, gone to school, and I'd um, finished my A-levels, that's like when you're 18, um, and I was choosing the universities, and I, I had my heart set on Cambridge University. Cambridge, Oxford, you know, these like elite universities, and I thought, Cambridge, that's, that's where I wanted to go. So I took an extra term after school to study and get ready for that, and I failed the entrance exam. It's like my hopes for my direction in life were completely dashed. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but just this hollow feeling in your stomach, and it's just all your dreams are shattered, and you just don't know what to do. And I experienced that, and it took me months to recover from that. And in the end, I ended up going to Birmingham University, a very different kind of university. And um, in, the, in, in the third week of Birmingham University, I became a Christian. And my whole life turned upside down for the better. And actually, I'm so grateful to God that I didn't go to Cambridge because I was quite arrogant. I, I, had my, you know, I, I wasn't able to listen to anyone or anything, and certainly not God. And it took that failure to, to, just for my life to be completely transformed. Are there failures that you're in the midst of or that you've been through that have actually brought you to a stop of dreams and, and things that you're longing for? Maybe it's a life decision. So for me... Um, uh, I was working in Unilever, doing marketing, and um, I was offered a job to work with Holy Trinity Brompton um, uh, with Nicky Gumbel, who's the man behind Alpha, in, the, in terms of developing that, that course. And um, actually, when Nicky Gumbel offered me the job, my heart leapt, and I thought, yes, I'd love to do that. So I went into the office and said um, to the marketing director, I'd, I'd like to resign because I want to go into um, the church. 
And this man, he was absolutely livid. I remember the interview, he, um, he'd said, what if God calls you out? And I said, well, if he calls me out, I'll, I'll go. And he said, we'll see about that. So he was really annoyed that I was kind of making this decision. Um, he said, would you like to hear about the job we're going to offer you in, a, in four weeks' time, in a month's time? And I said, yeah, okay. And it was my dream job. So it was traveling around Europe, um, hobnobbing with the kind of chief executive officers of all these companies, and uniting all the brands together. So there were um, single brands across the whole of Europe. And it was just a, a very exciting job. It's a demanding job. It's quite a big promotion. But it's all the travel, all the kind of uh, responsibility. And I just thought, wow, that's an amazing job. They said, would you like to think about it? And I said, yes, please. And so <laughs> on the way home, I got stuck in this traffic jam. that it normally takes 15 minutes, and it took two hours. And in that traffic jam, all I, I was just wrestling. Shall I do this? Shall I do that? And um, it was a genuine choice, I think, that God gave me. It's almost like I'm so grateful to God for it because I had the thing which I'd longed for and then actually the thing that God had put in my heart for what might be. This was a job which had um, two hours on the job description to run the bookstall and then nothing else. And it was half the salary um, that I was um, earning before the promotion and, um, or this dream job. And at the end of the two hours, it was very clear to me that I wanted to do the job in the church. I didn't know what I was going to do for the rest of the um, time, but I knew God was calling me into that, and I wanted to do it. I was presented with a genuine choice from God, and actually, I, was able to, I actually chose to do the, the calling. Sometimes we face decisions where we just don't know what to do. It's a life decision, and we, we need to submit those to God. What about the known versus the unknown? So when it came to planting a church, I was actually offered a job to be, like, take Fiona's role at Holy Trinity Brompton um, or to go and plant a church in East London. It was just a genuine choice. Should I take something which is a promotion in the known or should I take a, a kind of step into the unknown? We face situations like that all the time. Actually, I'm so glad with that as well that I chose this one because... It actually, I, I, all the stuff about church planting and so on, it's, it's just opened up. It's, it's been really the formation of me in my 40s to do with actually learning new things and being able to grow and invest in the life of the church in that matter. Failure, life decisions, genuine choices about known and unknown. But um, there are sometimes conundrums that we face. So um, I had a situation two years ago where... Um, I created a little bit of a social media storm in England. It wasn't pleasant. So we had this seminar where um, the, the speaker, it wasn't me, um, who just said clergy who run churches can be, um, that process can be a limiting factor for starting other churches because if there's only one route of selection, training, being an assistant eight years before you can actually lead a church, then actually it limits us from being able to do other churches. And so the way a church newspaper reported it was clergy are the limiting factor for, the church, for church growth. And so the way, it was just after lockdown, everyone was really frustrated. The clergy were kind of feeling kind of trodden down, beaten up already. And this whippersnapper from this kind of church planting centre says, clergy are a limiting factor to the growth of the church. And they just went absolutely... Um, well, they were very angry. And it just went, I had the Archbishop of Canterbury, who's like the senior person, ringing me up saying, 
Rick, you've just ruined church planting for 10 years in this nation. And so I just felt terrible. And so the question then was like this conundrum. Should I just really just batten down the hatches and just keep quiet and just really not do anything? Or do I need to make a public apology in humiliation and just go for that? And actually, I, I did this in the end. And it abs- absolutely quietened everything down and, and, and did a great job. But that was really hard. A genuine conundrum. We have conundrums sometimes that we face where we don't know what to do. Sometimes very, very difficult choices to make. And these are the kind of, this is, the, this is what happens in human life, isn't it? We face difficult decisions. We face challenging decisions. We don't know which way to go. And there are genuine options. Sometimes they're both good. Sometimes we try things and they don't work, or the doors are closed. What do we do? That's what Paul was facing here, and I'd love to um, dive into it. Because we see here Paul, uh, I think, doing a number of things that will really help us both personally in our own lives, but also as a church to decide, you know, with this great vision to plant six churches in the next five years, see, how do we do that? Well, the first thing we see in this is that Paul focused his vision. He was clear about what he was trying to do. In verse 10, after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. He was clear about what he was doing. Verse, um, Romans 15, verse 20, he says this. Um, it's always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Paul wanted to reach the unreached, people who had never heard the good news before. He didn't want to build on someone else's foundation. See, his calling was to go to new places to reach new people. I think a lot of your calling is about reaching new people in new and renewed ways. It's about maybe planting churches that haven't been there before or going to an old church and bringing it back to life through church planting. Paul's really clear about his vision. You know, he, every time in Acts, he keeps on referring back to this kind of calling. What about you? Are you clear about your calling, whether you're an 80-year-old or a 20-year-old or anything in between? We need to pray. I think it starts by submitting ourselves before God and saying, God, I want... I want you to direct me. And in my experience, I've had to keep on doing that. I'm 58, and I'm still doing it. There was a situation last week where I got some news from England, and I had to say, Lord, I submit this next um, thing to you. We need to keep on doing that. And in my experience, when I do that, it's a life of adventure. Focus your vision. This woman here, Helen Shannon, she's an amazing woman. She was um, a single mum, not a Christian, um, when she was 18 years old. Her her mother said, you've got to go and meet some people. And um, I'll look after your baby, because she she just wasn't able to meet anyone looking after this baby. So she said, I'll look after the baby, and you go, and there's a youth group over there. You'll meet some young people. So she goes there, and actually it's a church youth group. I don't think she realised that, but it was a church youth group. And she, over time, she makes friends, she gets converted. And um, over time as well, she meets this lovely man, Mark, who um, becomes her husband, and they have five other children. So they've got six children. Amazing. She felt called to start something back in the place where she lived, which was um, a housing commission. So we call that a housing estate. 
quite a kind of challenging area. And um, she felt, I want to do that here. And she started a small group in, in her a, a housing estate, and that's become a church. It's called Church at Five. When I met her, um, I just heard her story and was just really blown away by um, how she was so passionate about what she was doing. And I said, Helen, what's your vision? And she said, my vision is to have a church plant on every estate in London. That's like 500 churches. I said, how are you going to do that? And she told me her plans about um, you know, calling some people back to housing estates who used to be there before and training people who are already there and, um, in, in a kind of non-book culture to be able to reach the people um, in their places by planting churches in those, in those places. The credibility of someone like them planting a church for them. She knew what the vision that she was after. What's your vision? You need to focus that in your life, but also your part to play in this church. Second thing we see here is Paul charting his course. And I think this is something we're called to do, is make a plan. Paul here says, uh, Luke, who writes um, uh, Acts, says this, uh, verse 6, Paul and his companions travelled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in, in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to, so they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. So this is classic. So sometimes you think, oh, with God, we just need to kind of go with the flow. And here we see Paul very clearly having a plan. He had a plan and he had a backup plan, and he had a backup plan. So his plan A is to go to Asia. Asia, plan A. Asia, so great map here. So when Luke talks about Asia here, it's not Southeast Asia. It's, the, it's Western Turkey. That's the province of Asia in those times. And, and the capital city of Asia is Ephesus. Remember Paul's letter to the Ephesians. He was trying to go to Ephesus. Why? Because it was the capital city of Asia and it was the place of influence. It was a great port. It was a place where uh, there's uh, uh, um, massive worship and, um, of, of the god Diana. And you know, people flocked to it as a, a kind of a, a, a trade port. And he knew that if we went there, then it would influence the whole region. It's a great plan. Plan A is to go to Asia. But the Holy Spirit kept him from preaching the word there. Okay, so plan B, Bithynia. That's, uh, do you see, just off the top of the right-hand side, that in light green, that's Bithynia. He tried to go there. No, it didn't work. So plan C, carry on. And he kind of carries on. Do you see the purple line there? He carries on to Troas. It, I mean, for him, actually, that is the end of the line. Troas is... So the interesting thing about this map is this is Asia Minor on the right-hand side, and that is Europe. Paul had no plan to go to Europe at this stage. He was just going for Asia. It's like his home territory. But when he gets to Troas... It's like, okay, I've tried carrying on. I get to the end of the line. There's another plan that emerges because he has this vision. And a man from Macedonia, which is just in, do you see Macedonia at the top there? A man from Macedonia in his dream says, come and help us. Plan A, plan B, plan C, 
Plan M. He's got a plan. He's worked out. He's trying things. It's so important. Sometimes we just think, oh, it's just going to happen. It ain't going to happen without a plan. We do that in the rest of our lives. We need to do that with our spiritual lives. We need to do that with the church. If you have this vision, this thing of saying, we need to plant, you know, we want to plant churches. And it's like the first thing you do is you put a number on it. Why? Because you have to work out then how are we going to do it. If you don't have a number, it's like we're going to plant churches. Well, we could keep on trying to plant churches for 25 years. But as soon as you say we're going to do six in the next five years, it focuses the mind. Helps us say, well, how are we going to do that? In London, we had planted 53 churches between 1985 and 2013. And I was given responsibility at 2013 for coming up with a plan for planting churches. It's going to be part of the vision for our diocese, 2020 vision. What were we going to do by 2020? So we said, we've done church planting before. Let's have church planting as part of the plan. And so we said we're going to plant 100 churches by 2020. It was going to increase the rate of planting because it was 53 over 28 years to 100 over 7. So it's a stretch goal. And we knew that we couldn't do it the way we'd done it before. We had to do it in new ways. We had to work out how that was going to happen. And by 2020, March, something happened in March 2020 that kind of slowed things down a little bit. But um, we planted 87 churches. So, yes, we had learned. We increased the rate of planting and we'd learned how to do it. God showed us different ways and different means. We learned from others. This is what you've, you've set a target to do six in the next five years. That's challenging. But actually, as soon as you've made that plan, you will, that goal, you've set that goal, then you can make a plan. That means recruiting people. It means helping some people here to say, how are we going to pray for this? How are we going to give to this? Because church planting costs money. Um, how are we going to raise up some people finding the right leader, but also the right team? And there'll be people here who even today are thinking, oh my goodness, that might be me going on a team. And you know, don't be worried. It is the most exciting adventure of all. But some of you need to stay. We need a home base that's going to keep on praying and giving and raising up people to be able to go. Having a plan. Charting your course. And we do that with our lives, don't we? We make a plan for a mortgage or for, a, um, you know, for buying a house because we get a mortgage. Or you know, we, we, we sometimes plan with children. It doesn't always. <laughs> sometimes things don't happen according to plan. But um, you know, it's part of our lives. If God's called you to do something... Make a plan to see it happen in practice. Thirdly, we see here Paul effectively implementing not going alone. Don't go alone. Verse 8, they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. Verse 10, after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia. I I didn't realise, I didn't notice this for years, but look at those pronouns. They passed by Mysia, went down to Troas, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia. What's just happened? The thing that's happened is that Luke, who wrote Acts, has joined the team. So before he's writing about them, and then he's saying us. It's, like, that's, it's just a nice little neat thing, isn't it? But it says so much. So it says, first of all, that Paul went with others. So Paul was already with Silas and Timothy. And then Luke joins the team, four of them. 
you see actually over the next few months that um, on their second journey that Paul leaves behind, when they plant a church, he leaves behind someone who's going to train that church and equip that church to get started. They didn't do that on the first journey, so this is like a new practice, learning. But actually by the time he gets to Athens, having planted all these churches in Thessalonica and Berea and Philippi, it's only him left. There's no team. So actually even then, he's learning and he says to all of them, come and join me in Corinth. So not going alone is a key part of life decisions. We some, so often we don't ask others, we don't get advice, or we don't um, pray with others or ask them to kind of join you in the thinking behind the decision, sometimes a big decision that needs to happen. But also with churches, we've learned over the last few years that we don't just train a church planter, we churn, to train a church planter and their team. It says so much, it's not like the, the hero who's going to do it on their own and, um, and, and be a kind of lone operator. No, we need teams. We're in this together. We're using different gifts and skills to be able to um, bring the, the body of Christ um, together so that we see that in that diversity, extraordinary strength. Don't go alone. Fourth thing we see here is Paul listening to the Spirit. So verse 6. Having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia, they tried to enter Bithynia, verse 7, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. Verse 9. Paul had a vision. Verse 10, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. You know, why? It's an interesting question. Why did God stop Paul from going to these places? I mean, surely he wants the gospel to be heard in these places. When we dig a bit deeper into it, I think there are some things that come to the surface. So in, um, in the province of Asia, the map before Smyrna is one of the churches that's mentioned in the book of Revelation, um, one of the letters that Jesus um, speaks to the churches. And in Smyrna, in Revelation, it, it describes Smyrna as the throne of Satan. Now, we don't know what that means, but it doesn't sound good, does it? <laughs> it sounds like there's a place where there's quite a lot of evil activity that's going on. And I just wonder whether Paul was not ready to do the mission to Asia. Because there are a number of things that happen in Philippi, for example, on this journey. He gets flogged, so he suffers, but he didn't need to get flogged. He was a Roman citizen, so he had the choice to say, no, you shouldn't be doing this, but he let it happen to him. And through suffering, a whole church was formed. The Philippian jailer, his whole household comes to faith. It's almost like, for Paul, he needed to go through some experiences that were really tough to prepare him for what lay ahead. Bithynia. Why did Jesus say, don't go into Bithynia? Well, St. Thomas, remember Doubting Thomas, went to Bithynia later on to plant churches there before he went to plant churches in India. It's almost like Jesus is saying, uh, you could do it, but actually I've got this for someone else. I, I've got something else for you. Sometimes these closed doors stop us from God's best. So listening to the Spirit is so important. This couple here, Chris and Becky, um, we, we planted two our first two churches that we planted from East London 
we did in, the first, in a week. I don't recommend planting two churches in a week. It's just, it's just the way it happened for us after a few years of, of our first plant. And we had someone lined up and already in a plan for one church, and we had no one for the second because it had come up much quicker than we were expecting. And we prayed, and God introduced me to Chris and Becky, and they were just the perfect people. They were, I, I knew them three months before they were sent, and it was so clear that they were the right people. And we were going to do it in the same way as the first church, but God showed us through a, um, our prayer team He gave us these words, slow burn. It was like God had showed us that it needs to be different to the kind of big bang, let's go for it, plant here. This was going to be slower and um, uh, more gentle. And it was absolutely the right strategy because within three years, they were both 150, but uh, in number, they'd grown fast. But actually this one needed to be a completely different approach. God showed us, by listening to him, he, he showed us which way to go. So what is God saying to you? What's your own calling? Whether it's teaching or banking or looking after children or being in the community, being a a church leader, whatever it is. What is your calling? Have you submitted that to God? Are there crossroads that you're facing right now or you, you, you know, you've just been left in something, you've, you're stuck, or you're, you're just in the conundrum, or, or you've faced a failure that you just don't know which way to go, or, or actually there are choices and you just genuinely don't know which one to take. It hap- this is something that is a life thing. What is God calling you to do within that? Are you, have you submitted yourself to that? With the church planting that God has called this church to do, and you're members of this church, what's the part you're going to play in this? To pray or to give financially or to, or to actually be a part of a team or training a team or going and actually um, saying, we're going to go for a, a season to invest in this new life. What about future opportunities? Even now, God might be calling some people. So I'd love to pray into these things because I think God... Uh, at a personal level, God wants to move us forwards in our lives. So we're always walking step by step with him. And there's somewhere it's like, you know, something's going on in you right now. And it's like, okay, God, I, I, I need to take a step. I need to take a step of faith. I need to move from my stuck position or this kind of more comfortable position. So I'm going to take that step. I'm going to, in a minute, I'm going to invite you to come forwards. To make that step, not for me, for you. So actually, this is part of a physical way. I'm going to just take a step and just get someone to pray with me and, or pray over me. But for others, it's like there's something which God is stirring in you. And it's to do with actually the church planting in this church. The greatest adventure you will have as a church is to plant other churches so that some people in heaven will come up to you and say, hey, because you gave, because you prayed, because you joined that team or because you sent a bunch of people, I'm here because of you. Isn't that going to be amazing? Amen. We'd like to stand. If you can, please stand. And um, I'd love to just pray very simply for the Spirit to come. He's already here, but actually to come and um, uh, energize the, those decisions that we need to make today. Lord Jesus, thank you 
for your spirit who's here present with us, who's been at work amongst us. Father, thank you that you long with the love of God just to pour yourself out into us by your spirit. And so, Father, we pray in the name of Jesus, send your Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Thanks again for listening to the New Life Podcast. If that stirred something within you or you'd like prayer, you can head to church.nu forward slash prayer or contact us through our Instagram or Facebook page. We pray that you have a great week. Be blessed.